All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And let's start things off with what is happening on the ground. Avdivka, uh, Bakhmut. Um, the the pol political article on the Ukraine counteroffensive, they also political also claimed that, uh, according to their sources in the Pentagon, that there have been 100,000 Ukraine soldiers, the best, the most elite uh, soldiers killed, not, not total casualties, killed. Um, they also said that Ukraine is running very low on uh, ammunition, weapons, artillery. And uh, we have concrete dates, it seems, for a counteroffensive. I mean, it's happening in May. It's, there's two scenarios, moving south or moving east and then south. Uh, I've, I've never experienced th this type of, of, uh, of telegraphing of intentions yeah. from, yes. from a military. I mean, it's no. pretty odd no. to see, to see uh, them I talking know. about when this counteroffensive is going to happen and how it's going to happen. So I let's uh, let's start with with all I, of this. I, I'm going to say I'm going to say before we get on to the political article that I've read many articles over the course of this war that have made me angry. Perhaps this political article made me more angry than any other. But I'm going to get to that in time. Let's talk about the situation on the ground because the situation on the ground for Ukraine is catastrophic. Now there are three major positions where there's heavy fighting going on. One is Bachmann. And last night, there were reports that a place called Hormoville, a village near Bachmann, has been captured by the Russians, by the Wagner forces. And if Hormoville has indeed been captured, and it's not yet confirmed, then one of the key roads is now definitely severed. Homovo is right on top of one of those roads. Both roads, both of the two remaining roads, the Russians can shell anything that moves on it. But if Homovo is captured, then the remaining corridor into Bakhmut that Ukraine is trying to use over the fields, the country roads, it's shrunk even further and the chances of using one of the asphalt roads is completely gone. And there's lots of reports about fighting within Bakhmut itself, and all the indications are that the Russians are pressing forward in every part of Bakhmut now, and they're very close to the administration building and other things. And there was a deeply distressing article, which came out yesterday, in the Kiev Independent. You know, Kiev Independent, English language, but published in Ukraine, uh, um, um, obviously, by definition, pro-Ukrainian. And it described a catastrophic picture in Bakhmut. You had soldiers talking, confirming that, you know, they've been killed in huge numbers, um, that they've been killed almost as soon as they go to Bakhmut. It confirmed the reports that there'd been mutinous amongst Ukrainian Soldiers who are sent to Bakhmut, many of them are now refusing to go because they see it as a death sentence if they're sent there. It talked about the Russians firing infinite amounts of artillery rounds. Infinite was the actual word used, um, you know, at basically any Ukrainian position 
and any Ukrainian soldier that moves. And the, the, the Russians, in fact, don't uh, uh, um, um, engage Ukrainian soldiers in firefights with small arms fire. They locate where they are. They find the position. They shell it. They destroy it. Ukrainian soldiers are killed. 90% of them are killed by artillery and airstrikes, not by small arms. So, I mean, it, it, it was a ghastly picture. And one Ukrainian soldier, he gave figures for the total number of Ukrainian troops in Bakhmut and in the surrounding areas, and he said it's 28 to 30,000. Now, that's only a soldier, and he's only a staff sergeant, so perhaps he doesn't have a full picture. But I would say that's a more realistic number than, you know, the 70,000 that Prigozhin was talking about and some of the huge numbers that other people have been talking about. And if it is that many, then uh, I have to say the prospects of a Ukrainian counterattack in this area are be looking to me, frankly, extremely dim. Anyway, so that was a terrible article in the Kiev Independent. Meanwhile, further north from Brahmut, the Russians are advancing. They're advancing towards Slavyansk. They're well within shelling distance, apparently, now, of Slavyansk. They're pushing into Kupiansk itself. That's what the Russian Ministry of Defense is saying. They've entered the uh, industrial zone. And then yesterday, again, last night, unconfirmed reports but probably true reports, but still unconfirmed, we must say that, that a very important village near Avdeyevka, this is this fortified town near uh, Donetsk City, the place where the Ukrainians shell Donetsk City from, that Krasnogorovka, this very important village, has now been captured by the Russians as well. And Denis Pushilin, who is the chief minister of the Donetsk Republic, he's now saying that the Russians are able to shell all the roads leading into Avdiyevka. So an operational crisis in Bakhmut, horrible crisis, a similar, equally horrible crisis perhaps, starting to evolve in Avdiyevka. All kinds of problems further north perhaps in Kupiansk, and yesterday, Reuters saying that the Ukrainians are clinging on um, in the north of Donbass, in Kharkov region, but that the Russians are pushing hard and that they're pushing towards Liman. Remember that town which the Russians captured in May and then the Ukrainians recaptured in the autumn? Anyway, the Russians are apparently closing in on Liman. So Liman if they capture it, would bring them very close to Slavyansk, again from the north, and they're also advancing on Slavyansk from the south, and if they capture another village near Bakhmut called Orekhovo Ivanova, then they're also able, they're within striking distance of Kramatorsk, and apparently it's open fields from this village Orekhovo Ivanova to Kramatorsk, there's no obvious defence lines that the Ukrainians can set up there. So, you know, if you accept all these reports, and I see no reason why not to, then it's a disastrous picture. And notice the key report is the one that came out of the Kiev Independent. Its description of what's going on in the fighting in Bakhmut is just 
is just horrifying. Yeah, before you get on to the political article, um, we, we've been saying on this channel since the very beginning, beginning that Donbass, the the war in Donbass in the, in, uh, in the east of Ukraine, it ends with the fall of, of Slavyansk. Yes. But Slavyansk, for me, has always yes. held that that significance yes. as once yes. that that falls, it's it's over for yes. for the fighting in the east. But yes. um, do you have any idea how much of this fighting, how much of this advance from the Russian military is Wagner, and how much of it is the uh, the conscripted Russian military? Are, are they being used? Are this yes. these three hundred thousand? Uh, forces that that were conscripted, uh, partially mobilized. Sorry, partially mobilized four months ago. Are they being put into battle or not? No, <laughs> as far as I can see, they're not. That's what's the. That's the other thing that must be extremely unnerving. I mean, some of those reservists that were called up were sent it to reinforce existing Russian forces on the ground. So they were brought back up to strength and they're no doubt continuing to receive reinforcements. But at least 160,000 men from those reservists have been held back and have not yet so far joined the fighting. And probably a lot more than that. And there's also a massive build-up from what we can tell of aircraft, tanks, artillery, infantry fighting vehicles, all those sort of things... So, um, so far, none of that has been, has been activated. Um, the main blow with the main force has not been launched yet. It's, what you're seeing is a sort of very lightweight boxer up against a heavyweight. And that's what's happening. The heavyweight boxer is only, so far, is still punching rather softly. He, he's holding back his knockout blow, which one has to say must at some point come because I can't imagine that the Russians, having mobilised this huge force, are simply going to leave it there doing nothing. So at some point, that surely is going to strike. So I, And I think that's a very good point to say because the Russians are not fighting at the moment with all their forces. Ukraine, to a great extent, is. Well, no one brings up the fact that, that Russia is not fighting with all their forces. No one brings up the fact in the collective West media that, that Russia hasn't used any of these, uh, these mobilized uh, troops and reservists. They're just waiting in the wings there. No one the ever mentions that. Uh, they, they focus on 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 the convict ex ex uh, prisoner mm. Wagner forces. That's that's the way they paint the the narrative. That's what they focus on. Absolutely, um, you're completely you're completely right. I mean, you know, and we have all the stories. Russia's running out of ammunition. Russia's running out of men. Uh, 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 you know, they're calling up women. Ukraine's already been doing that, but you know, there's pictures pictures of a you know Russian women's prison, and that's somehow proof that. Russia's calling up women. There's been no evidence of any of this, you know, not on any kind of scale. Um, and, of course, you know, they're running out of missiles, they're running out of aircraft. As I say, no proof of any of this at all. But that's the narrative that's been spun 
But the soldiers, the Ukrainian soldiers on the ground, are telling a completely different story. And the facts on the ground point in a completely different direction. Let me repeat again, and going back to that Politico article, and that was an extremely interesting article, and slipping out that upward of 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed, including most of the most experienced and trained ones. And that's not, you know, us, it's not the Russians, it's not any of the, you know, all of us speculate, that's Politico, and they're presumably getting their information. I mean, they are getting their information from people in the administration. You can see that. If you read the whole article, you can see that. So that's the reality, and that's consistent with what these soldiers in Bakhmut are telling the Kiev Independent. There's no reason to think that the soldiers in Avdeyevka would be saying things any differently. And there was an article by the London Times about the situation in near Kremenoya, and there was another one, uh, this is in the area of Liman, uh, Kupiansk, uh, uh, basically describing the same, set of, same kind of situation, and a similar article also in um, Reuters. All of them pointing to a disastrous situation, whether out of men, out of ammunition, out of infantry vehicles, out of tanks, out of aircraft, out of pretty much everything. And they're still clinging on, trying to hold the line, and more and more of them are dying every day, all the time. And even as that's happening, and even as the Russians, as I said, keep their main forces back, Politico tells us that the administration is thinking about a counteroffensive. And notice, it's not the Ukrainians, it's the US, or let's not say the US, it's the administration that is trying to push this counteroffensive. And you have, the, we're, we're told by Politico that the time window is small, Ukraine is running out of everything. So despite the fact that it's running out of everything, despite the fact that the US has less and less to give, despite the fact that more, most of the best soldiers Ukraine had have been killed. The US is rushing a couple of dozen tanks, but it's not its own tanks, notice, it's Germany's tanks. <laughs> it's sending, you know, a couple of score infantry fighting vehicles. Can't provide Ukraine with ammunition, though. Can't provide Ukraine with many of the things it needs. And it's rushing training. It's speeding up training. In other words, it's cutting corners with training. And it's going to send them into the path of this Russian juggernaut, even as we're also reading in other places about these enormous fortified lines that the Russians have built in southern and eastern Ukraine. I mean, I, I have to say, it, it, it really, really made me angry reading this. I mean, that... Knowing what they do, they're encouraging Ukraine to launch an offensive in these circumstances. I mean, to me, it's borderline criminal. Perhaps it is criminal. Perhaps there's an even stronger word, but I'm not going to use it in this programme. I can't figure out what's going on here because it, it just it doesn't feel right. None of none of this feels right. That's coming from from the collective West or from the Elensky regime. It's like you said, Politico is telling Politico is telling us 
100,000 killed of yeah. the best soldiers, the best soldiers, yes. 100,000, yes. gone. No ammunition, no artillery, no weapons. We have the Kiev article. The Daily Mail ran a similar article yeah. Yeah. from the Kiev article. They basically said the same thing. Uh, things are catastrophic for the, yes. uh, yeah. for the Ukraine military. But you have an article saying that we are, as, the, as Ukraine, as the collective West, we're going to mount a counter-offensive in May. They're giving us the month. In yeah. May, in either one of two directions, they're giving us the month. They're telling us how they're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to either go through Kherson down south, or we're going to go east, and then we're going to go south and uh, cut off the land bridge. And yes. then we're going to go after Crimea. And I'm reading all of this, and I'm going, this, this doesn't make sense. No, I know. I mean, this I really makes, this makes zero sense. And I'm thinking, is no, this some sort of big, elaborate media bluff or... Or, or what's going on here? Well, I mean, I, I don't understand it myself. I mean, you know, maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, lo uh, you know, logic reason methods to this madness that I can't see because to me it is it does look like madness. I mean, what command, military command, and you know, the United States is heavily involved in Ukrainian military decision making. What military command, in its senses, telegraphs weeks in advance? <laughs> where that it, that is going to launch an offensive and where it's going to launch it and tells the other side, well, actually, we're going to launch this offensive despite the fact that we've got no air force, no artillery, uh, um, very few tanks, very few infantry fighting vehicles, and all our best men are dead. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's crazy. Now, the only explanation I can come up with is that this is more to do with U.S. domestic politics now than it does with the situation in Ukraine. In other words, that Ukraine is being pushed into launching an offensive in these disastrous conditions, far worse than the ones in, in the autumn, which in the end didn't end well. I mean, I think that's a point to make. I mean, those offensives, it turned out that Ukraine lost thousands of men and most of its machines and ran through most of its artillery uh, uh, um, to achieve nothing of any strategic value. Well, we're going to do that in a far worse situation now. We're telling everybody we're going to do it. We're telling everybody where we're going to do it. You said two options, but they said, you know, well, one, one is really very easy because you have to cross the river. So almost certainly it'd be the other one. So, you know, the Russians obviously are listening and reviewing all of this and they're drawing their own conclusions. I mean, you know, as I said, it's crazy to do it like this. We don't know. I mean, here we are. We're guessing what the Russians might do because the Russians don't tell us. And that's what a military staff ought to be doing. The Americans and the Ukrainians are telegraphing it across the entire world. I mean, the people in the Kremlin and in the Russian general staff must be scratching their heads and say, you know, what kind of people are we up against? But anyway, I can only assume, as I said, it's connected with U.S. domestic politics, that there's a desperate need either to turn the situation in Ukraine around in some way um, before the summer, because the summer is clearly now becoming the critical month, uh, the critical period, beyond which, as I said, the whole situation becomes irretrievable. Or 
in the alternative, if this great offensive miscarries, to prepare the ground to blame someone else, blame Ukraine, blame Zelensky. There are lots and lots of articles now, some of some in Politico as well, blaming Zelensky, saying, you know, that he's spent far too much time and energy concentrating on Bakhmut, that he's weakened the, the Ukrainian army ahead of this counteroffensive. So blame Zelensky, blame whom knows else, who, who knows whom else, DeSantis maybe, <laughs> Trump, McCarthy, you know, somebody else, blame someone else for this disaster. And in the meantime, don't worry, don't be too concerned if thousands more Ukrainians die. I, I, I have to say, as I said, I've, I've been angry many times over the course of this war. But when I read that article by Politico yesterday, I, I, I've never been as angry as I have been um, reading an article like that. I mean, it just, I, I, it's just profoundly shocked me in every way. The uh, the one concern from like uh, people like Seymour Hirsch is that they don't get involved. Yes, and, and that's the only way that that they can keep this thing going. Not that it yes. would be successful. And, and Seymour Hirsch is right. The only way they can keep this going is if NATO gets involved. And he expressed those concerns a couple of uh, of days ago. And I agree with him. It doesn't mean that yes. NATO is going to get involved. It doesn't mean that if NATO got involved. It would change the the trajectory of the war. It would it would be the only way that they can keep this this war going a little bit longer. Uh, do you think that may be what all of this this telegraphing of what you're doing and and all of these articles coming out? Do you think that may be what what we're heading towards? It is not impossible at all. Now you know I, I sometimes blend hot and cold about this, and um, you know I read a couple of weeks ago. Uh, an analysis that uh, that is circulating, but circulating privately, I should say, which discussed what NATO would need to do if it were to intervene in this war. And it compared the situation with the war in 1991 in Kuwait against Saddam Hussein's army. And it said, you know, you'd need at least, well, that war against Saddam Hussein's army required a million men and thousands of uh, aircraft and thousands of tanks. You need at least three times that force <laughs> to be able to prevail against the Russians. And you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it in that kind of time. But always, you have to say to yourself, that's a rational calculation. <laughs> that's something that rational people would say. They'd say to themselves, well, look, there's no way we can prevail against the Russians. There's no way we can turn this round. Let's not even think about it. That's far too dangerous a thing to do. Um, the problem is, with every single passing day, you get the sense that the people who are making the decisions are not, are not rational. <laughs> what sort of person... we come back to this original question that you asked me what sort of person telegraphs two months in advance the fact that you're going to launch an offensive on a particular date and the location where that offensive is going to happen certainly not a rational military commander so you know, we're dealing with irrational people 
they might very well take that kind of irrational step. And if they're thinking in that irrational way, then maybe articles in Politico, like the ones that we've seen, make a kind of sense in that kind of context. That might be the method in the madness, if you like. I mean, I find that very disturbing and very scary. And it does make me wonder where this ends and how this ends and how you stop. Because you, to be very clear, you're not doubling down. You're tripling, you're quadrupling. You're, 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 you're betting the entire house, not just the house, everything you have on this one square. And when people start to do that, you know, one fears that they're capable of anything. Yeah, given all the the, the financial crisis that's that's spreading throughout uh, the collective West and possibly Europe, given everything that's happening, yeah, uh, maybe war is what they've decided is is the only way yeah. they can uh, they can distract and and deal with with what's going on. Well, that, all the maybe more that's so. their answer. All the more so, given that the financial crisis is partly a product of the very war that they've <laughs> that they've initiated. I mean, you know, not not obviously the money they've given to Ukraine or the money they've given the weapons they've given to Ukraine, but all the sanctions wars, the economic war that they've initiated, is one of the one of the root causes of this financial crisis. But, you know, if you're thinking like that, then obviously, I mean, you know, you, you can't pull back psychologically. It's impossible for you to do that. You have no reverse gear. I'll give you another example of how they have no reverse gear. Yesterday, there were two telephone conversations between, Mos between Moscow and Washington. One was between Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Gerasimov, who's the chief of the general staff of the Russian Armed Forces. We don't know very much about that one. The other was between Shoigu, the Russian defence minister, and Lloyd Austin. And if you read the Russian readout of, the, of that conversation, which is quite you know, detailed, Shoigu makes it absolutely clear that the reason that uh, a drone, that Reaper drone, was brought down, and I don't think there's any doubt now that the Russians brought it down, that's what we've been saying all along. Anyway, the reason... Um, Shoigu said was that you've been acting far too provocatively, you're going beyond past the lines that we've set out, we are not going to tolerate this e anymore, if you continue to do this we will act proportionately but we will act to stop this happening. So what does Lloyd Austin say in response? Well, we know because he's told us, he says the United States will continue to do exactly what it has done already. In other words, they will continue to send more drones closer, ever closer to Sevastopol and to Crimea, with the Russians obviously taking ever more measures to bring those drones down. So, as I said, these people have no reverse gear. And when you're in that kind of situation with people like that, then frankly, all bets are off. They can do anything. All right, we will leave it there. TheDuran.Locals.com. We are on Rumble, on Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.